Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest, and then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have, so let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Eric Sunset is the VP of Marketing at DocBuddy, and today he joins me to talk through three ASC problems that technology can solve. Now, of course, there are many more than three, but on this week's episode, we'll be addressing how tech can help you with staffing, workflows, and revenue cycle management. We also chatted through some EHR hot topics such as meaningful use, government mandates, and technology adoption lags. In our news recap, we'll cover Certificate of Need Laws, Ryan Reynolds' live colonoscopy, how culture can help to combat labor issues, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about an experimental drug that has shown to significantly slow progression of brain cancer. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in Surgery Centers. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hey, Erica. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background, please? Yeah, you got it. I'm, I'm Eric Sunset. I'm the VP of Marketing and BizDev at DocBuddy. And DocBuddy's headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but I am located in not so sunny today, Miami, Florida. Awesome. And what were you doing before you got to DocBuddy? Yeah, great question. I am I'm a health IT lifer at this point. I actually got my starts in health IT selling EHRs, selling marketing, managing EHR resellers, eventually led an acquisition of a reseller to a Dallas-based EHR called Aprima. They were acquired by EMDs. I went over to EMDs and then from there got into revenue cycle management with a group here in Miami. And the opportunity to join DocBuddy presented itself about two years ago, and that's an exciting change of pace for me. Electronic health records and revenue cycle management services are critical, obviously, to the operation of whatever type of healthcare organization you're talking about. But it's not always that organization's favorite vendor for obvious reasons. And we'll get into that a little bit during our podcast today. But it's, a, it's exciting to be able to delight providers and their staffs now with DocBuddy. Yeah, that's awesome. We are big fans of DocBuddy at HST. So we're really excited to have you on today to cover how technology can help solve three ASC problems. Obviously, there are way more, but today we'll just cover three of the big ones. So let's jump in. You got into healthcare and health IT as a meaningful use was rolled out. What was it like to see that unfold? Yeah, that was that was truly a wild ride. We'll set the table for your listeners here by going all the way back to 2009 when the High Tech Act was was rolled out. That obviously had a meaningful use incentive and penalty tied to it. Um, I know a lot of our ASC listeners will be will have been spared that that heartache of your first go around with an ambulatory electronic health record since ASCs were not a part of that bill. But going all the way back to 2009, if you believe it or not, your mechanic would have had a better capability to tell you when you're due for maintenance on your car than your physician would have for your annual wellness check. 
software is really the only way that you can do that. And despite the exorbitant cost of this program, a lot of spears being thrown at meaningful use here. There is some good, we're going to get there, but despite $35 billion that it costs the country, despite our lack of true interoperability, I hate to say it, but just speaking the truth here, and really despite some of the massive negative impact these ambulatory EHRs have had on physician satisfaction, it was an absolutely necessary step for the country to bring us into the 21st century reality, really of digital healthcare. So you end up with improved quality and safety for patients. You get a data foundation for healthcare informatics to actually use. Then you get some other positives like better patient communication and transparency in your care through things like patient portals. So through all that, you'll notice I didn't mention the ASC at all. We're talking about practices and hospitals, really. Logarity said the ASC space was spared this meaningful use mandates just the way that the bill was written. And there are certainly technologies in place at ASCs, but unfortunately, the ASC seems to lag even in, in greater regard to technology adoption than the peers at both practices and at the hospital. So it's just not to the full scale of adoption yet. We have this debate internally all the time. Do you think that legislation is ever coming for ASCs to adopt an EHR? <laughs> I love to pontificate on that. You got to think that there's going to be something coming down the line only because so many procedures are coming off of that IPO list, especially cardiologic type procedures going into the ASC. So part of me is somewhat would be somewhat open to a push by the federal government to say, hey, we need some more technology here. Our CMS money is reimbursing for these procedures now as less and less, or as more and more things come off the IPO. And I think it's something like 50% of all procedures are now being done in the ASC. And I think as you start to get more and more Medicare money reimbursing for those procedures, it will probably become a hotter topic. But on the other side of that, the debate is that what did meaningful use really get you? The end goal was interoperability, but we don't have that. So we have a digital, we have digitized healthcare, but we don't necessarily have what we were promised. So that'll be an interesting debate. It makes me glad, you know, among many reasons that my job isn't in Washington, D.C. <laughs> to have to fully vet that out, but it'll be very interesting to, to watch. Where do you fall on that debate, Erica? Yeah, we it changes. This time last year, I would have told you, no, I, know, I don't think it's ever coming. But in the CMS had recently asked ASCs how they feel about it. And I just think asking that alone, it, while it is a baby step, it is a step. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they're going to go about it in a roundabout way. Like they're never going to actually mandate it. But, it, but to be able to do reporting, quality metrics, and all this stuff, the only way to efficiently get to that would be to have an EHR. So whether they officially mandate it or just indirectly mandate it, we'll see. Yeah, maybe you and I are better suited for a job on Capitol Hill with two kind of non-committal answers. Maybe yeah. yes, maybe no. But I think you raise a, a very important point that some of the efficiencies that you want to gain, some of the reporting capability that a business like an ASC would want to have necessarily comes from technology like an EHR, especially one like HST offers. And when you look at some of the market forces surrounding ASCs, considerate amounts of investment, huge amounts of investment, either by PE or other entities like 
health systems into their own ASE ecosystem. I think there's going to be more and more questions asked of ASE owner and operators about what's going on underneath the hood that you really can't answer without the right technology. Yep. Agreed. All right. We're going to have to put our political careers aside here. Let's get back to some other topics. So one of the biggest challenges we hear from our clients is, of course, around staffing. COVID obviously was devastating in terms of exacerbating an already existing issue. And it's obviously tough to deliver services or do anything if you don't have the staff to facilitate it. What is the connection between technology and staffing? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. COVID was absolutely brutal for hiring. And I'll share a quick anecdote that a a fairly large multi-location, multi-physician primary care group here in, in Florida offers extremely competitive wages. They offer benefits to their employees. So going way above and beyond in in an HR sense, and they just cannot hire a single soul to help them. And we're talking about mission critical processes at this group where they just literally cannot make a hire despite doing everything they can and despite doing all of the right things to attract great talent to their organization. So I'm not one to tell you exactly why that is still happening. COVID is obviously a no-brainer why it happened through the pandemic. But now that we're kind of out the other side, you just got people that are frantically working to fill positions, but it's just not happening. Uh, So where you have the shortfall in labor, and it's a classic healthcare fix, right? If you have a problem, let's just hire somebody. We'll just throw people at it until we don't have a problem anymore. And unfortunately, that's no longer an option. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to do to begin with. But when you have a labor shortage, you have got to look outside of just hiring more FTEs to fix the problem. And that's where technology can really help fill a gap like that. And this is a really low hanging fruit example, but the easiest one that I can give is with phone calls being made to confirm procedures with patients. And there are absolutely ASCs taking advantage of services that automate this and remove this as a manual task from their list. But for everyone that does, in my estimation, there's probably two that don't. So with these ASCs, where you're still using labor to fulfill a really low operational requirement. And by low operational requirements, obviously important that people come in for their appointment. That's not the low requirement, but the ability to confirm that appointment, uh, your better option is very obviously, you need to be using some type of automated patient calling technology that integrates with your PM, right? Because we're talking about technology replacing a labor gap or augmenting an existing process that's strictly manual. You want to have as much benefit as you can for your technology spend. So baseline would be something like an automated caller or texter, probably text preferred these days. People don't like the, the phone calls from random numbers. And then to take it to the next level, being able to integrate that patient feedback into your PM really with the goal of giving your staff, giving your FTEs the very least amount to do in one work area. So what do I mean by that? You wanna be handling exceptions. You don't want people calling through a day list just because it's there. You wanna be handling the outliers with technology, pointing out, hey, this person had an issue with their appointment. Hey, we need this form from this patient, whatever that is. You don't wanna be doing strictly manual tasks just because you can. And I think you said it perfectly. I just wrote it down. Handling the exceptions is exactly what everybody, your 
talented, limited staff should be doing. And to your point, ASCs endure tough workflows, whether they have adequate staff or not. Being able to help them out as much as you possibly can is huge. Yeah, and we'll take it into to point number two here. We talked about technology being able to augment a limited workforce, and hopefully you're not limited. I'm obviously not rooting for that, but the reality is most organizations across all industry are shorthanded to some extent through this COVID oddity. But the next item is that there are some processes that are absolutely critical to the operation of your surgery center, but you're doing something in a way that's not standardized. So put yourself in an ASC operator's shoes for a moment. Think of all the ways that you're receiving a surgery order. Is it by fax? It's by email? And hopefully it's an encrypted email and not just a Gmail or an Outlook. Obviously we've got PHI at stake. You know, is it phone calls? Is it a carrier pigeon or smoke signals or <laughs> all of the above? So to take it a step further and obviously give a somewhat silly example, but do all the different practices that send you surgeries, are they all sending you their procedures the same way? And are all of the surgeons at all of those individual practices relaying that they want to schedule surgery with you the same way? We're delivering the point here, but you can see how a large ASC yeah. that handles a wide variety of procedures, it can get complicated really quickly. So we've already established, and it's a fact, you're working with limited staff. You can't just throw people to track down all of the different ways you get procedures. I need you to check voicemail three times a day. I need you to look in our surgery order email box 10 times a day or have it on your phone. Really, the way you solve these non-standardized workflows has got to be with technology. And not only standardize it, but centralize it into one stream and full credit to our ASC administrators, and operators, and scheduling departments that can deal with all of the clutter. But when you think about how the rest of industry handles what's very clearly a problem, well, let me rephrase that. What's at best an inconvenience and at worst a significant problem where you're having to chase, whether it's voicemails, post-it notes, emails, like we said, whatever the case is, the rest of industry would not tolerate this. And there are absolutely ASCs that have it standardized and streamlined, and they're a high-performing ASC. But again, for everyone that is, there are many more that are not. So by using tech to standardize and centralize this process, you're eliminating what amounts to just a pure cost for your staff's time to be able to eventually get all these procedures scheduled. And then to go one more step into the pain, into the hurt locker of this, what about all the forms that you need completed to actually go through with that procedure? So you might be getting requests for scheduling through the phone or picking up a voicemail or from a fax, but then what about that patient's H&Ps? What about the consents? What about a prior authorization? What about all the different things you actually need to have in place before you can even perform that procedure? So as an ASC administrator, as a listener of This Week in Surgery Centers, Think about all of the ways that everything is a one-off or is different than the next one that you're going to get. Technology is how you resolve that waste. And I'll call it what it is, that waste of FTE time, consolidating all of this down and then being able to communicate with the practices with which you work. Hey, patient X who's scheduled two weeks out from now, we don't have any of their forms. Can you send them to us in this one way we deem as the only way to get procedures onto our schedule? Yep. 
And I think I know the answer to this, but to clarify, you're not advocating that surgery centers should adopt tech to reduce staffing and headcount. <laughs> no, absolutely not. We okay. love our ASC employees. No, you've, you've hopefully gotten to stop by the Doc Buddy booth at ASCA or your state ASC shows. Nobody loves our ASC employees more than Doc Buddy. And I think I can speak for HST there as well. Absolutely. Uh, just for a quick example, if you are in the very fortunate position as an ASC operator or manager or owner, and you have enough staff, you have adequate staffing, good for you. The goal with technology at your ASC isn't to go around and say, you know what, I can reduce headcount by 20% if I adopt these few technologies. There will be edge cases, and probably not in this post-COVID world, but there, there are potential for edge cases where maybe you are overstaffed. Uh, but to flash back to my revenue cycle management days, the recommendation is not ever to reduce your headcount just for the sake of it. Um, unless there's a compelling reason or maybe an HR issue, obviously we're speaking in generalities here, but what I would recommend is that if you do end up adopting a technology and hopefully that technology saves you a ton of time. And the recommendation there would be to get your employees that have been, uh, had their time reallocated to tech or tech is saving that time, move them to something more meaningful. And obviously the lowest hanging fruit there to use that phrase again, is something like patient accounts something that needs constant attention, something that you need people to do, automated patient accounts, I can really only get you so far. So that'd be my number one place to look. And again, hopefully everybody who's listening, their AR is low and it's within 30 days and everything's current. But obviously that's, that's not always the case. Yeah, I know we're always trying to toe that line too of making it clear, yes, technology can help save time and improve all these efficiencies, but it really only works if you have buy-in from your staff and from the people who are going to be using it and truly understand the value and the ins and outs and how it works and having those super users. So I completely agree. Yeah. And that, if I can step in on you there, that ties into one of the core tenets of management, right? Like hopefully you've got a great culture where you bring a technology to the table and everybody's ready to adopt and they see the value. But if you have ever been in any type of HR capacity, you'll know the most expensive employee you'll ever have is the one that you now have to replace. So to be able to hang on to good work is just critical, especially when you can't really make a hire in 2023. Yeah. For sure. Now you had mentioned revenue cycle management, and that's a great segue to our third problem that te technology can solve for an ASC. So tell me more about that one. Yeah, this is, a, this is a sneaky problem on our list of three here, and it's accepting that the status quo is good enough. And sometimes part of your status quo is a technology or a service, or maybe it's not, maybe it's just a strictly manual process for you right now. But Erica, would you believe that it is a widely accepted and adopted practice that even in brand new state-of-the-art ASCs that are costing over $30 per square foot to build, you know, at least 30 say, one of the most critical aspects of their operation, which is their revenue cycle, it's utilizing a mechanism with a built-in lag, a built-in time delay. It's crazy. When you put it like that, it sounds crazy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm obviously being dramatic. We want to have something interesting to listen to, obviously. But that's the truth. And I'm talking about the use of a transcription service to generate operative reports. 
months. And this is one of those things that it's, this is how we've always done it. It works. This is good enough for us. And we don't need to think about changing it. And any self-help or any motivational book you ever read or any management book for that respect, if you're settling for the status quo, because that's how you've always done it, you're in trouble. You may not know it. You may not feel like you're in trouble, but that is not a good reason to keep doing things the way that you've always done them. So to paint you a little bit more of a picture, here's what I'm talking about with the inherent lag. So you're a surgeon, Dr. Palmer, you've just completed your procedure and now you're either going to do your dictation that then goes out to a transcription service, or maybe you wait till the end of your day to do all of your dictations at once. Either way, example holds. Once those go out, either procedure by procedure or all at once at the end of the day, you're going to wait some amount of time for your transcribed dictation to actually come back to you for your review. And hopefully it's right and accurate. And if it's not, you supply the edits. And obviously there's, there's a lot of discussion to be had around how long that takes, how much are you paying for the transcription service? What's your SLA? So maybe it's a couple days, maybe it's a couple weeks. In any case, you're waiting. And you're potentially waiting again if you had any edits that needed to go into that op report. And then finally, once you get back a completed final version of your operative report, then you're signing it and then it's going to your billing team. So you've performed the procedure, you've delivered a fantastic patient outcome. Now you're waiting on average about 15 days to have a signed and final op reports. And then, and only then, are you really able to bill for that encounter? So to me, you know, coming from the, the seat that I'm sitting in, obviously as a technology person, this is a highly unusual situation and the dynamic can get a little bit worse. I'm sure you hear a lot of the same things when you're at events like ASCA or any of the state ASC shows, but the number one complaint, and we've done some polling and some surveying on this, but the number one complaint we hear from ASC administrators and staff is that they're waiting on signatures. This is like 95% of the problems that are that we hear on the show floor. So you're familiar with it. Yep. We hear that all the time. <laughs> okay. And then to, to build up another dramatic example, you know, what if you're not going to see that surgeon again for a week or two weeks? Or what if you only see that surgeon once a month? And maybe they're on vacation this month. That claims in trouble. That claims in jeopardy before it even has a chance to be filed and jeopardy the timely filing, obviously. So we talked earlier about the lag and adoption of technology in general at the ASC. And this is where I predict my own prediction here is that the most rapid change in ASC technology adoption is going to come at the hands of the revenue cycle. We've talked a little bit about the reporting that really only technology can give you, unless you've got a very complicated Kanban board you're filling up with post-its and all types of notes on your break room to be able to say, how many procedures, how many of this type of procedure do we do in a month? How many are we predicting to do next month? Um, and all the way down the line. But where technology, I think, will penetrate more fully into the ASC is at the hands of the revenue cycle than anywhere else. And then my guess will you'll be able to see broader adoption of all technology across the entire supply chain, the entire production line of the ASC uh, as we go through time. Beautiful. Thank you. So just to recap our three problems technology is solving, we have staffing, 
we have more efficient workflows in general, and then the sneaky one helping to improve with revenue cycle management flows and reducing time to payment. Exactly. You, you hit the nail on the head. That speed to revenue point is, is often overlooked just because that's just been the gold standard for so long. You may not know, or your listeners may not know that the technology and the service that underlies transcription as we know it, it's over a hundred years old and it hasn't changed in that hundred years really at all, except maybe now it's on your smartphone sometimes, but you're still waiting. Sure. Yeah. That's good context. All right, Eric, one more question. We do this every week with our guests. What is one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery centers? Oh, what a good one to end with. So we've talked about ways technology can improve your surgery center. And what I would do, my recommendation to your listeners would be to list out the processes that you're managing manually, something that you'd call the old way something that isn't technology enabled. Let's be clear, not everything has to be technology enabled to be good, but you end up with a process that you can control and manage much better with technology. So now that we've got that caveat out of the way, list all of your processes you're handling the old way, rank them in the order of the most painful to the least painful. That could be time, that could be cost, that could just be frustration with what it is that you're doing now. And this may be somewhat self-serving for both of us, even Erica, but it's to start shopping. Once you've identified the key areas or the number one issue that's causing you pain at your ASC, get a cost benefit analysis together and start talking to vendors. And the reason for that is that most often than not, anything that you can purchase off the shelf that's commercially available will do better for you than something that's brewed from home. You end up with much better support. You end up with a community of like-minded users to help you through that process. And then as you rinse and repeat through that list of identifying processes where it's strictly manual or it's the old way and being able to replace them with technology, take that to your board and say, hey, I think I'm onto something here. We can save X amount of time per week or we'll have this much less waste if we look at technology. Perfect. All right, Eric, we appreciate all of your insight and thanks for coming on today. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. According to an article in Becker's ASC, certificate of need laws are likely to change in certain states. So in case you're not familiar, a certificate of need law requires healthcare providers, which includes ASCs, to receive permission to build new facilities. But the certificate of need approval process is lengthy and costly and difficult for many independent physicians, especially small ASCs, to try to tackle. And as you can imagine, the law differs in every state, and in some states, it doesn't even exist. The impact of the law, though, is pretty clear. In states where there's no certificate of need, like Texas, there are 450-plus Medicare-certified ASCs, and they are thriving and continuing to grow. And then in other states, specifically like in the Northeast, growth is slow and complicated and can really be a headache. Now, the Carolinas have been a focus recently because North Carolina is in a tough spot. 
They have recently been experiencing high economic and population growth, but they also have very strict certificate of need laws. So a lawsuit was filed last year challenging the law, but the state's court of appeals unanimously voted to dismiss the lawsuit, unfortunately. Now, I think this one lawsuit failed because the surgeon argued it violated his constitutional rights, which maybe just wasn't the right angle to take because there was one judge who agreed with him but still voted to dismiss the case. But as a very tiny baby step, the North Carolina Senate proposed its budget for the next two fiscal years with a provision that would allow single specialty ASCs to convert to multi-specialty ASCs without going through the certificate of need process. So there's at least that. And down in South Carolina, they passed a bill that removes certificate of need requirements for new ASCs, but the ASC must provide charity care after being in operation for two years. So all of that to say, it does look like the certificate of need laws are beginning to unravel in a lot of states, which will be critical for the industry's growth and for lowering healthcare costs. In our second story, Outpatient Surgery Magazine is sharing what GI centers can learn from Ryan Reynolds' live colonoscopy. So if you're not familiar, about eight months ago, Blake Lively's husband, Ryan Reynolds, lost a bet to his business partner and friend, Robert McElhenney, who you likely know from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and had to have a public colonoscopy. While it seems silly, Ryan's doctor did find and remove a potentially precancerous polyp, while Rob's doctor, who did ultimately agree to have the colonoscopy as well, even though he won the bet, removed three polyps. The video of the process that they put together and the procedure is on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes. It currently has over 1.2 million views and counting, but in terms of the impact that it had, online booking platform ZocDoc reported a 36% increase in daily colonoscopy bookings after the video launched. Social media posts talking about colonoscopy increased by 244%, and Google searches for colonoscopy and colon cancer rose by 129% and 113%. So while your ASC likely does not have the budget to hire celebrity ambassadors, this is a reminder that you shouldn't be afraid to get creative and fun and ultimately connect with your patients in a way that works for them. In our third story, the June-July issue of ASC Focus came out, and there are some really great articles in there. The one I wanted to share today is about how ASCs can leverage culture to combat labor issues. Now, it might seem difficult to prioritize something like culture building when your ASC is being faced with so many financial and operational challenges, but they share that this is actually the perfect time as your culture is the framework that will help you decide which team members are essential and potentially worthy of a raise, which contract nurses should be asked to come on full time, and which new interviewees you should hire. And to back that up, in a survey by Glassdoor, 73% of respondents said they would not take the step to even apply for a position unless the company's values aligned with their own. 
meaning that culture is key to recruiting and retention. So where do you begin? You should be able to identify your company culture in one to two sentences and make sure your entire team can do the same and is also thinking about the same values, attitudes, and habits. But to get to that point where you can create the culture, you really need to ask for input from your employees. How would they describe the current culture? What needs work? And really, this only works if you genuinely listen without interruption and with an open mind. Then you can leverage that culture in your job description and interviews to make sure you're attracting the right talent and make sure you're finding the perfect candidate for the job. Again, going back to that that Glassdoor survey, it's not that people are applying and they're not going to be a good fit at your culture, at your company. It's that they're not even going to take the step to apply in the first place if they don't understand and align with your company's culture. So just want to reiterate, putting it in that job description is key. And the last thing they shared, which I love, culture is not static. It will change as the world evolves and as your leadership and staff change. So make sure you're using it as a tool for growth and don't just set it and forget it. And to end our new segment on a positive note, an experimental drug has shown to significantly slow progression of brain cancer. A new study found the experimental drug voracitinib significantly reduced the progression of brain cancer, slowing the progression of tumors by an average of more than 16 months. Voracitinib specifically works on grade 2 gliomas by blocking a specific enzyme mutated in low-grade gliomas, keeping them from progressing and postponing the need for further treatment like chemo. And according to Wake Forest Baptist Health's Dr. Glenn Lesser, the results are quite striking and they're statistically highly significant. And more importantly, they're clinically very significant. The Servier group is working to get the drug approved by the FDA for use in the U.S. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your time with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we will see you again next week.